0: listening to delta dispatches we're discussing louisiana's coast its people wildlife and jobs and why restoring it matters i'm jacques hebert with environmental defense fund
1: and i'm simone malaz with restore or retreat
0: happy october simone it's i don't know if it feels like fall i don't know if it's sweat weather but i've seen a lot of photos from the weekend of folks tailgating so at least in the football sense it feels like it's the season right
1: well, we had a really terrible football weekend, Jacques, so we won't talk about that very much. I know. Um but but on um yesterday, I guess, um, my little boy Ben's walking and he goes, Can you believe it's October third? <laughs> I was like, You and me both, buddy,
0: you and me. I feel both. you, Ben. I feel <laughs> you, Ben. I know. I mean it's we've got, you know, leaves changing up here, folks putting pumpkins out. But then I was at the store yesterday, and of course, you know, we're already seeing Christmas decorations. No, yeah, so, yeah. you know, before long, it's just the mad dash to the end of the year and the holidays and all that stuff. But- yes. Anyway, it's all good and let's hope for better football weekends in the future for <laughs> both of our teams. Um Yeah, I
1: was going to say you got new teams you can follow, but um
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, no, you know I'm not following the Vikings or any other team. In fact, I should say I am I'm I'm doing flag football up here oh. and our jerseys on the back it has all the sponsors and one of the sponsors is the Minnesota Vikings and I just oh, feel very okay. Conflicted How can you about say it.
1: that? How can you say that and not sing it like Lizzo? Like.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, I just try to think about Lizzo and, and be like, okay, that's something positive I can associate with the Vikings, right. you know, and but right. and, and regardless. <laughs> I I, uh, I encountered someone brought their dog to a game recently and they had a Vikings sweater and I just blurted, <laughs> oh, that dog's so cute minus the sweater. And then yeah. everyone just, I got glares from everyone. I'm like, you have to forgive me. I'm from New Orleans. I will never, you know, appreciate the Vikings, but, you know, everyone's being very kind. So I just want to let you know, I may be out of Louisiana, but where my loyalties always lie or with the saints and whether they're doing well or not, we, we love them and hope everyone had a great time back in the dome this weekend.
1: Yes. Well, I think it um, didn't end well, but <laughs> I think yeah. it was
0: probably a good, good thing to start fun, out with. <laughs> a fun time. Well, I have to, you know, but we, I'm so excited to get into the topic that we're discussing and bring on a former guest, but I, I do want to give a reminder of folks, um, of, you know, where they can go to help communities in need in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. We've got a great resource page on MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Ida. We've done a few specific community spotlights for the town of Ironton, for the Point of Shen Indian tribe, and there are more coming. So, you know, again, this is going to be months, years of recovery and people still very much are in need. So please go to that website, mississippiriverdeltaorg slash IDA and learn how you can help those communities that are still recovering and, and will be for a long time. Simone, I wanted to also flag, there's a great resource that our organization put together and I know you were very active in helping develop it, um, a community guide to coastal restoration. And so folks can check that out at mississippiriverdeltaorg slash handbook. It's so comprehensive, so well organized, but tell us a little bit, well, I have a printed copy too, which is really cute, but tell us a little bit about the the handbook, the Community Guide to Coastal Restoration and and what's in it.
1: Um, I feel like I'm a guest on Delta Dispatches. But yes, Jacques, thank you for having me on the show. Um, we're really proud of the Community Guide to Coastal Restoration. A lot of times we get questions. Um, it's It's really overwhelming the different organizations and which one is in charge of what and how they work together. And so um, it, we just decided to put down a lot of what was already in our brain or out there in the world in one quick resource guide. Um, hands off, you know, uh, full credit to our um, our outreach team and our communications team that developed it because it really is just this little smart guide to what is CPRA? You know, what? what's the Coastal Trust Fund? Y'all talk about that a lot. What is the master plan? Wait, what does that have to do with the annual plan? And so we just tried to put all of those things on paper, um, literally, and it's the cutest little guidebook. But then we also um, have a website um, that we can keep fresh and updated and really evergreen to try to keep this information out there as a really handy guide for folks. Um, it's on the MississippiRiverDelta.org page slash
0: Great. Well, I know um, Helen Rose Patterson with National Wildlife Federation was very involved in bringing this to life. So maybe we can have her on at some point and talk a little bit more about it and how it came to be and and how folks can use it.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely wonderful little guide and look forward to talking about it and using it more. Um, Do I get a fun question now?
0: (laughs) Well, do you want to pick your own fun question? Would you like me to just make something up on the fly? You know, well, you are such a great host, and 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 you also have <laughs> all the good information. So I have to, you know, put you on the spot, Turn the flip the switch. <laughs> yes, channel my best bar- Barbara Wawa, and just um, yeah. By the way, I don't know if you've seen the show, the morning show. It's in its. Um, I've heard about it. I've, I've heard it. Yeah. It needs
1: to be on my list. I have to finish Ted Lasso first. So as soon as I do that, don't. Uh, and you need to start Ted Lasso. But I, I, we that's digress. True. So okay, Brady's well, going to well, be like, "What the hell are these two doing?"
0: <laughs> Their own podcast. We'll do that homework and then you know come back. But I was just gonna say you have to watch it. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon are the most the greatest dynamic duo. And if we could aspire to be like them on this show minus minus the drama behind the scenes (laughs) um i think it would be really great so i don't know
1: you keep it up with the viking comments and there might be drama
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's let's not delay our guest any further tell us a little bit about who's on simone and what we're talking about today
1: I'm excited to have um, Dr. Brady Skaggs on the show. He's the water quality program director over at Pontchartrain Conservancy. Um, I last saw Brady at a Climate Initiative Task Force little event. We we had and i basically cornered the guy <laughs> and i was like Brady we need to talk to you more i want to know more about what you do and and how that affects um what we're doing every day and so i'm glad that brady uh was willing to come on the show want to talk a little bit about his everyday work but also about how it relates um to our coast post ida um so there's definitely still um, a a story to tell related to to Brady's work there. So welcome to the show, Dr. Brady Skaggs.
2: Thank you so much for having me. You're gonna have to uh, forgive me if I have any kind of mess ups with uh, not having eye contact. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, so I can't, I can corner you on the show too, Brady, don't worry about it. But, um, so w- let's get to, um, you know, how are you doing, you know, after the storm, we're about a month removed. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you fared well or did okay, at least after the storm.
2: Yeah, very, very fortunate. Um, uh, we, we fared okay, uh, all things considered, Um uh, unlike a lot of other folks, you know, some of my teammates had trees in their kitchen, um, or just you know extensive damage if you live in Destraham. so uh, yeah I'm certainly very blessed
1: yeah, that's one of the things I know Jacques um, was talking about, um, highlighting some of those communities doing some of the good work. And we're definitely wanting to highlight some of the river parishes because they're definitely um, still trying to get back on their feet and it'll be a long road to recovery for them as well. So we don't want to forget that that particular corridor. I think um, you know this is one of the things that we had a guest previously on the show talk about it, just about how widespread the impacts were from all the way down the bike you, um, to Plaquemines, to the river parishes, and even some folks on the North Shore. So uh, we want to make sure that we're still h- highlighting their need for recovery there. Brady, you've been on the show before, but why don't you remind folks and um, a little bit about yourself and then tell us about your work with P.C.?
2: Yeah, I am the Water Quality Program Director for Pontchartrain Conservancy. I'm going on five years pretty soon, and uh, I'm fortunate to spend a, a, a lot of time with a with subject matter that I love dealing with, water.
0: Brady, the, speaking of water, um, August was National Water Quality Month. Um, it obviously got a little sidelined by um, everything that was happening, but you were recently on Louisiana Considered talking about the pandemics effects on industry and arts pollution and algal blooms in Lake Pontchartrain in the Gulf of Mexico. So give us a little bit of a recap of that discussion um, and tell us a little bit about, you know, just water quality month, but then what's the latest and greatest on water in terms of water quality that you've been tracking?
2: Yeah, water quality month allows us a, a great opportunity to uh, kind of remind the public at large that that there are different things that each and every one of us can do to uh try to improve our our waterways around us. Um and you know, we typically don't think of water jumping from from one bayou to the next. Uh but certainly the the environment and and different things that we do to the environment can can influence all of us. Uh, in the case of Lake Pontchartrain and our, our namesake, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, you know, a lot of the work that we did was in the tributaries leading up to Lake Pontchartrain, in an effort to, you know, try to keep uh, that main estuary clean. So, uh, Water Quality Month, we did spend a, a pretty large amount of time talking about flushables and what not to flush down the toilet. Uh, we we talked about algal blooms. We saw a very large algal bloom. I think I gave a TV interview the week of Ida. Maybe if it wasn't the Tuesday or, or Monday, you'll have to forgive how time kind of blurs a little bit. But it was certainly earlier in that week that we were talking about how there was pretty extensive algae in the lake, um, which is unusual for us because we didn't have a Bonnie Carey Spillway opening event this year. Um, just kind of helping to to connect all those dots, how, how water is related, why you see large impacts, um, you know, in the case of algae, um, and, and, and things like that.
1: So Brady, this is a a little off script, but I mean, we're in this unprecedented kind of rainy year, right? I, um, I think I saw the other day, like the fifth wettest year on record, and it's only October. So, um, so like you said, we didn't even have a Bonnie Carey opening. We've just experienced this tremendous amount of rainfall.
2: Right. And so, you know, with all of that rain happening in our basin, I think August was the month that we blew past our annual uh, rainfall average for the year. Um, all that rain and storm water comes into contact with things that we apply, uh, you know, in the yard, or are, you know, maybe coming into contact with. So, in the case of fertilizer application, uh, whenever you have large contributions of nitrogen and phosphorus to a to your land, and that commingles with rainwater, that's certainly going to an estuary, and you can have eutrophication or or algal production uh, in those extreme circumstances. Uh, and and not having that that contribution of the Bonnie Carey Spillway being open this year. uh, It's certainly been an eye-opener, I think, to see that uh, you can have these really adverse uh, environmental outcomes, um, despite not having an open spillway. So um, it's really been an eye-opening year from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I, I remember you know discussing with Dr. Alicia Renfro at National Wildlife Federation at the time of I, I can't remember which opening of the Bonnie Carey it was. It might have been. It <laughs> might have like been twenty 20- with his days. Right. Like y'all, y'all
1: just can't remember that stuff anymore. It happens so it, often.
0: It might have been twenty nineteen, right where there were the historic flood. Um, But you know that that is just something that is projected to increase just in terms of the number of the amount of rainfall and how do we manage a lot of this water um, that you know is going to continue to come from all over but another that leads me to another question Brady which is you know we'll see kind of these events happen you know uh, and like you mentioned the algal blooms as a result of all the rainfall that's happened this year um, but then over time the lake kind of comes back right and that's something we've talked to Christy trail about with the the return of the rangia clams in the lake um, we even saw like people were shrimping right off of Lakeshore Shore Drive. Um, you know, I think that was earlier this year or last year. So can you tell us a little bit about the dynamics of like that response or recovery in terms of Lake Pontchartrain and how it's able to, you know, we certainly want to reduce pollution wherever we can and, and kind of run off. But um, is the lake able to kind of build in some resilience like to these events?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, this has been an interesting problem, uh, I guess, for us in the organization and in the department from the standpoint that uh, HABs and the exploration of harmful algal bloom events is uh, a really interesting science question, Um, and there are some technologies that are newly available that really lend itself to um, trying to, to dig a little deeper. Um, and specifically what I mean by that is uh, just in 2019, the EPA released criteria for a HAB event, um, which kind of defines what a HAB event is and, and the toxin responsible for, for causing some adverse health outcomes, how to measure that toxin, and then what is a good and safe level for the toxin. Um, and, and toxicology is a really interesting um Form of math. There's a number of different safety criteria and unknowns that you just don't know about, so you have to multiply by by different safety variables. Um, but 2019 was really the first time we got to sample uh, beyond our typical suite of water quality metrics and uh, dive into to environmental measures of microcystin, which is a one that just one class of different. Uh, toxic chemicals that can be produced by cyanobacteria. Um, So we took those measures and and wanted to try to ascertain if if there were um, really high counts of microcystin in the environment or or not. Uh, And I guess the challenge with this is, and it's been documented in, in the scientific literature, you can have very high concentrations, and and when i say high concentrations i mean over eight parts per billion of water Um, you can have high concentrations of total microcystins in waters where you do not observe uh, a cyanobacterial bloom but you can also have very dense amounts of these cyanobacteria in different water columns and not have a toxic event so it's uh you know we we've certainly wanted to understand the dynamics and and try to try to sample uh, just from the standpoint of being able to advise the public um, of, of different adverse health outcomes or, or you know, reasons not to swim or to swim. Um, but we've, we've, uh, we've certainly been interested in this and because this is becoming a little bit more widely available technology um, that we can measure, it's, it's uh, certainly a great space to explore.
1: So Brady, um, you kind of started to take us down a path of some good general reminders to share with folks about everyday water and wastewater treatment use, those kinds of things. So um, not everything that flushable really is flushable, right? And and like you mentioned medication, right? I think there was a time when everybody thought, sure, just flush that down the toilet, right? Um much less like goldfish, those kinds of things. But even, I know this, it, like even that sounds simple, but even like don't litter because it ends up in the lake. But but really the continued story is, is that those cigarette butts, those straws, they affect our stormwater drainage system, right? So maybe can you just go through some of those general reminders to share with folks, although they seem simple, how they can really impact um, water in the city?
2: Right yeah i think there's three i think there's three different reminders that that we were talking about during water quality months that are that are very good for the public um the first is don't put anything flushable quote unquote flush flushable down the toilet um other than toilet paper uh, and the reason for that is that it can certainly clog up uh, the collection system or burn out pumps or grinders uh that are that are required to convey sewage to a sewage treatment plant um, don't put medications down the drain uh because in, in particularly if it's if it's a uh, type of medication um, that's that's hormonal or has um you know some variety of different uh, medical uses uh those medications can pass through a t- wastewater treatment system in very low concentrations um, effectively the wastewater system may not treat or or break down those chemicals at all uh, and so they can have a environmental impact on fish or other species on the other end of the wastewater treatment plant that you you know, the discharge is receiving. Um, and then any kinds of litter and things that, that fall in your yard or in the street, uh, all of those materials uh, get pumped out into Lake Pontchartrain. Um, we have so much rainfall that it's not uh, possible to engineer a system that can treat rainwater prior to discharge. So everything that's leaving uh, our area is going into the environment untreated as far as stormwater.
0: Those are really great reminders and just important reminders, right? Because you, we sometimes see the effects of what happens, but, you know, there's work that we can do um, on the, at the onset to help hopefully reduce that. And I imagine that there's more information and resources on um, Pontchartrain Conservancy's website, scienceforourcoast.org. Okay, great. So um, Brady, let's dig into Hurricane Ida a little bit. Um, actually, let's let's start even before Ida. Um, do you start to see changes in the basin um, even before a storm makes landfall?
2: Uh, certainly we can, or we can go back and look at some of the trends in the data and see different changes. Um, unfortunately, with a strong kind of easterly wind or, or different cyclone events, uh, sometimes we'll see spikes in salinity. Uh, as water is pushed over um, the Wrigley's or or into the the estuary with those uh, east to northeast type of winds. Um, So, we'll we'll see increases in salinity in in some cases during the fall uh, from, from some of our recreational water quality sites.
1: So, Brady, even and even during a storm, what happens in the lake and the basin really depends on the track of the hurricane, how much rainfall comes with it, you know, how long it sits, those kinds of things. So, um, it well, first of all, is that true? And then, second of all, I mean, I guess that really, if that is true, underscores that every hurricane is so different when it impacts to the Pontchartrain Basin.
2: It is so different. Um, you know certainly each storm is a different event, but the way that the storm interacts you know with whatever land uh, it's making landfall on is is wildly different as well. And here in Southeast Louisiana, there are um, just a huge number of decentralized, Uh, Wastewater systems or at-home wastewater systems or on-site wastewater systems Uh, Sometimes, you know, we we commonly call them ATUs or aerated treatment units Uh, but Southeast Louisiana by and large um, has a number of decentralized wastewater treatment things so if you go to a gas station or a church there may be a wastewater treatment system uh, on those particular properties Uh, you really only find widespread uh, wastewater treatment in the city of New Orleans or, or East Jefferson, uh, where you know every structure is connected to the sewer treatment system. So I think on last count, the total number of systems that were permitted by the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality, so that's just commercial systems. There was 4,200 uh, different systems that could have been in the pathway of, of Hurricane Ida, um, and that's a lot of wastewater, right?
1: and And that's assuming Brady sorry that's assuming they're all working correctly,
2: well, yeah, so the, you know those storms are all in the path of the hurricane, and uh that that cyclone event knocks out power, and once you knock out power, you don't have the oxygen necessary for the for the wastewater microbes that are that are in those systems to treat sanitary waste so um you know, we, we notice some impacts to different watersheds. And in the case of um, Bayou Castine, I did uh, the sampling run on September 2nd, so just a few days after uh, Hurricane Ida made landfall. Uh, and Bayou Castine, which is uh, near Mandeville, uh, it's one of the tributaries uh, right next to the city of Mandeville, it had a 0.4 uh, parts, um, sorry, milligrams per liter dissolved oxygen in uh, the standard is typically four or five milligrams per liter. So a, a tenth of where it should be. Um, it, it, it certainly impacts watersheds to have untreated wastewater, making it into, you know, our different bayous and, and rivers.
0: Brady, that leads me to my next question, which, I mean, obviously after a storm, there's a lot of focus on the, uh, those directly impacted, you know cleaning up your home, et cetera. but you also had to get to work you know as a water quality team um, and monitor the impacts. So tell us a little bit about some of the work you all did in the aftermath of Ida and you know are you still doing assessments? Do you have any kind of observations at this point? I know we're only a month out, but just walk us through what that process was like kind of after the storm to, to kind of do the work you needed to do to assess you know impacts and then and then where you are now in that process.
2: Well, so one of the things that we did um, was we, we maintained our routine uh, water quality sampling throughout the basin uh, over, that, over that time period because I think it's very interesting data uh, and is certainly usable for, for other activities. Um, we saw very suppressed dissolved oxygen values uh, across the basin in the three weeks after the storm. And we certainly saw lots of fecal coliform or other measures of, of fecal pollution uh, untreated wastewater, uh, if as it were, um, by the different microbial counts and tests that we do. Uh, logistically, it was uh, a really fun time uh, during that period. As far as uh, ice was tough to find, uh, you have to preserve the samples that you take from the from the fecal analysis. We had to make sure that our uh, our partners at the laboratory that perform the analysis for the fecal indicator bacteria were capable of processing the samples. Uh, you know the roadways were, were all a mess immediately after the storm, as far as down power lines and uh, debris that could that could cause issues with, with travel. Um, but uh, we continue to collect that data, and um, it, there there are some interesting uh, data changes shortly after the storm. But uh, you know we do anticipate seeing a rebound for a lot of those metrics as well
1: it's interesting how you know after a storm you first of all like we all become little meteorologists when it comes to a storm because we learn all these new words and all these things but even after a storm with boil water advisories and we know when the sample has been sent to the lab that needs testing to live boil water advisories and things so those are all fun things you learn after hurricanes here um before and after hurricanes brady how long will y'all do post ida that will conti- obviously you're doing your everyday work but i guess i'm asking how long how long do you think some of that could be impacted just because of ida like how long does it kind of recovery um how long does that process take
2: you know i don't know and i think that's one of that's going to be one of the interesting things to see with the data set uh certainly and i think it it's as you get closer to that eye wall track um you know the the impacts and, and level of of uh, damage and the ability re- to repair from that damage is is certainly going to be a longer timeline.
1: So I guess there's a lot more to learn there. So what will you be? Um, what in in general are you looking at uh, work wise in the upcoming months? Um just tr- like things that you do on a set schedule, or is there anything interesting that you'll be looking at?
2: Well, we are—we um, have a, a, a variety of things that are very interesting. We are—we um, did get a grant from North Shore uh, Community Foundation to assist different wastewater systems uh, <clears throat> in the Florida parishes, uh, and to to help those folks out that had severely impacted wastewater systems. Um, you know, for us, that's uh, that's kind of a, a public health emergency. So we want to um, certainly provide technical assistance to those to those communities where we can. Uh, And then going along with that is uh, the capturing of data associated with uh, the operation of those systems. And uh, I know y'all have really done some great work uh, conveying the importance of coastal restoration and and the need for it. Uh, But I think one of those, um, you know, maybe those conversations that certainly warrant further discussion or or getting more folks engaged in is is all the infrastructure that comes behind uh, some of those restoration projects. and certainly for us, what we've seen is that uh, a lot of these decentralized wastewater systems are great when you're talking about climate change or carbon footprint or energy footprint, um, but <laughs> it, it's um, it's a real challenge in events where you've had widespread power outages because uh, wastewater treatment effectively stops.
0: Brady, there's so much, you know, to track, you know, in terms of the work of water quality. And and I mean, just it makes me think about there's so much water right across Louisiana, so many areas, uh, and certainly in the Ponchatrain Basin. Um, but thankfully, Pontchartrain Conservancy has a number of resources that are available to the public to help them, you know, understand impacts to track, you know, water quality. I think there's a new one that is connecting water quality to weather. So tell us a little bit about the Lake and Coast app what it does, and where people can access it.
2: Coast app was, was new in August. Uh, we've already pushed out an update, and I think that update went out this morning. But uh, our Lake and Coast app is all the weekly data that we collect uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. So we usually sample on Tuesdays. Um, that, that was delayed a couple of days here and there with Hurricane Ida. Um, but we post all of that data uh, to the app. And the app is pretty cool for a couple different reasons. You will know as soon as we uh, push the data out, there's a cool little notification that you can set up on your phone if you're, if you're running Android or iOS uh, to know when that data is new or current. Um, and it also has uh, proximity as far as weather. So it will source uh, weather information and rainfall. Uh, rainfall is one of the variables that we certainly see really high fecal indicator bacteria. Uh, or, or pollution associated with fecal uh, bacteria as a result of, of rain events. So, um, for samples that that have had rain, or sample sites that have had rain in the prior 72 hours, it'll kind of give you a heads up with a little cloud and water icon that, uh, you know, even if we collected that sample on Tuesday and everything looks good, there is the potential for, um, you know, some higher counts.
1: So they can find out more about Lake and Coast, but also lots of other things, and um, on the PC website, can you remind folks where they can find all that information?
2: Scienceforourcoast.org. We have uh, you know everything that we do across the organization, from our Lighthouse Museum and our our Coastal Program to our, to all of the the programs and grants that we have in the uh, Water Quality Program.
1: Great. Thank you, Brady. Thank you for being on with us today. It was very timely. Always, always very interesting. So um, thank you for being with us. Um, You know that you can't get away without a fun question um, on this show, correct? You
2: do know this? I thought you were wrapping up so I thought I was getting out of it. <laughs> Not so fast.
1: No, no. It remains probably my favorite part of this entire show, um just because I think you get to learn so much about people and so sometimes I want to ask one question and then it turns into like six questions. So um, but I'll, I'll just keep it at this for today. Jacques mentioned at the top of the show how, you know, they were already having Christmas stuff um, and we are not even through Thanksgiving yet. So um, why don't you just tell us your favorite holiday?
2: My favorite holiday.
1: And why? Sorry, I get <laughs> it's my show. I get to ask. <laughs> so favorite holiday and why?
2: Uh, I've got to go with Easter. Um oh. Easter is a surprising it, uh, choice.
1: I don't know if I would have
2: guessed that. <laughs> Tell me why. Well, I just, I just love the springtime so much. I love all the flowers that are in bloom. Like the the Louisiana iris is one of my favorite flowers. I, I just love everything that comes back. Uh, this year for me, Easter was really um, fun and beautiful because uh, we, we spent Easter um, in Bay St. Louis um, at, at my girlfriend's house in Bay St. Louis and, uh, you know, we experienced hurricane Zeta the year before, and it was brown from October 28th, <laughs> right up until spring kicked. And so uh, I just, I thought Easter was, you know, for all of the, you know, the, the religious reasons and, and the symbolism in it, it was just a, an absolutely beautiful time. And I, I always like it when the, uh, you know, the trees and the flowers wake up from their, their, their winter sleep.
1: Yeah, it kind of gives you that jolt, right? You know, yeah. the like, okay, out of the dreary, onto the real things. Um, and I do, I do love Louisiana irises. I'm I'm trying to figure out how I can have some in my yard. <laughs> I don't think it's very conducive of that, but I do love them. Um, Jacques, I'm gonna um my show, I can do what I want. Um, so I might ask you the same
0: question. Okay, and uh, it's my show, and I can do what I want. So I'm gonna say, <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, whatever holiday I'm celebrating. I'm taking a playbook oh. out of a former guest <laughs> Eric who Junk. gave that yeah <laughs> question, that answer to the question of what favorite bird? What's your favorite bird? And he said whatever one I'm looking at. So <laughs> I'm gonna say it's too hard to pick, you know. And I go back and forth. I mean, Halloween's coming up, and so it's always fun to. Getting that fall festival feeling, but then I love Thanksgiving, I love Christmas, love New Year's, you know, Mardi Gras. I just, I love them all. So whatever holiday I'm celebrating, what about you, Simone? So since you're putting the questions, I, I'm,
1: out. I'm. This is why we're perfect together. I, I'm just like you. I love whatever's coming up next. I love, love Halloween has always been like a big, big favorite of mine. But you know, um, we have a Thanksgiving tradition that I love, and and those kinds of things. So. I'm kinda I'm kind of the what's next girl, and I, I love those, but I do really love Halloween. That's a, a big one that's always been super fun. Um, for me, so um, I'm I'm um, looking forward to that. It it is certainly something um, after these past couple of rough weeks to something to look forward to. So, um, okay, Jacques, Jacques, how about Jacques and
2: Simone? What if you were on a podcast that was not your own <laughs> and oh. felt compelled to give only one response? What would you say? Okay. Oh
1: come on, Brady, this isn't your show. Um, <laughs> I I might go Halloween. Jacques? Okay. Let's do this together. Would you?
0: I think I'm going to go, honestly, I think I'm going to go Thanksgiving. I just love, you know, I love cooking. I love food. I love gathering with family and friends and just, you know, and um, yeah. So I, and I think Thanksgiving is that perfect, like transition in between like, you know, Halloween and Christmas where you're kind of getting a little of the Christmas feeling in there. So I think, yeah, I'll have to say Thanksgiving is my favorite.
1: Look at Brady. Like, Brady, whenever you can't make the show, Jacques, I'm going to make Brady come on and co-host. <laughs> I like his, his aggressive his, his aggressiveness. Yeah, Thank you, Brady. <laughs> um, Brady, if it's okay with you, I'm going to close out with the uh, Coastal Stat of the Week and then Jacques will wrap up with the Coastal Voice. Is that okay? <laughs>
2: Yeah, please, by all means.
1: <laughs> so I thought this was a cool um, stat of the week. We usually just give you facts and figures, but I thought this was really cool when I came across this on the, on the PC website. Um, but the U.S. Geological Survey and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency recently mounted an underwater sensor at the New Canal Lighthouse that is Connecticut connected to a kinetic sculpture created by the EPA. The sculpture is a trout that moves and lights up with different colors based on the water quality data that the sensor is reading. It's a fascinating way to interpret water quality data. The fish sculpture tests the salinity, algae, dissolved oxygen and turbidity of the water and you can see that trout at the new canal lighthouse. Brady, I know y'all had a naming contest recently. Um I don't want to spoil that, but I guess we'll have to um, bring that back. Um we'll have to share that information with our listeners.
2: Yeah, there were some uh there were some, you know, things we can't can't mention, but there <laughs> were certainly some great uh great <laughs> great different suggestions as far as the um the name of the fish.
1: I'm going to have to twist Christie's arm for her to tell me. My vote was
0: Louise for no particular a oh.
1: We could do Mae Maybuja. Oh my
0: goodness. Okay. I was gonna say they should name it Dr. John Lopez, but <laughs> but I think if we're going uh, Steel Magnolia's references, then obviously that's my vote. So, <laughs> Michael Hopkins said a fish called Wanda and- Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's a good one. So that's good. a good one. That one is um, good. <laughs> oh see okay yeah we could have so much fun with this but um but yes please keep us posted I think we're all very um, invested in the name of this fish now. Well, so. go
1: check out Wanda at the New Canal Lighthouse.
0: <laughs> all we'll right. Well, through. it is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, and this week it's from Alberto in Metairie. And Alberto says, I support the coast because I love my state. I want my next generations to do the same. Well, thank you, Alberto. And, and we agree. So please go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore dash the dash coast Tell us why you love Louisiana and its coast, and we might just share it on an upcoming episode.
1: Jacques, sorry to interrupt, but one more time, remind folks about Punishan as well.
0: Yes, thank you. So there are great resources on our website that include organizations that are active and doing ongoing recovery and relief for communities impacted by Hurricane Ida. You can go to MississippiRiverDelta.org/ida to find those organizations and understand the needs. There's also two spotlights So far, we hope to do more. Um, One's in the town of Ironton and one is on the Point of Shen Indian tribe, both communities that were really badly impacted by Ida and and need our help. So please go to the website and learn how you can help those specific communities and others. And and as I said, we hope to feature more in the coming weeks and months. But again, a great show. Thank you so much, Brady, and, and to everyone at Pontchartrain Conservancy for the work you all do to make sure our water quality is the best it can be and help people understand the connection that they have to water quality. So we'll have to have you back on soon. And until then, thank you for listening. We'll see you at the next Delta Dispatches. Until then, see y'all later, alligators.